All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new Geek Explained Extra series that we're calling Into the Snyderverse. I am your co-host, Eric Azana, and I am joined on this task of diving into what some people call the Snyderverse, other people call the DCEU, on this road trip through probably the defining movie franchise of the 2010s, both in a good way and a bad way. And I am joined on this exposition on this expedition by two fearless explorers from the Artistic Liberties podcast, Andrew Kincaid. Hey folks, I am drunk. <laughs> and from Scripts and Screams, Chris Carter. How are you guys doing? I don't know how I follow that. Andrew coming in hot with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I knew Andrew was pre-gaming from, like, the get-out. I was like, we're going to be talking about these movies. Andrew's going to be drinking. To to be fair, on my Twitter account, I have been kind of uh, chronologically my experience between the DCEU. And for Batman versus Superman, I had to say I am five drinks into this. <laughs> it's still not good. But we're going to get into that. So to tell you a little bit about what this series is going to be, with the announcement of the Snyder Cut, or Zack Snyder's Justice League, whatever you want to call it, uh, coming out in 2021, we figured our follow-up to our award-winning, critically acclaimed Geeksplained series, Watching the Watchmen, should be a dive into the DC Extended Universe film series. So we're going to be covering all eight films that have come out so far um depending on the time frame here if it ever ends up coming out we might be adding uh wonder woman 84 at some point whenever that decides to drop we'll see uh with the world kind of how it is right now nothing is certain everything is everything is just on a completely different timetable but we are going to be tackling with each new episode a separate movie in mostly chronological order of how they were released and this first episode is about the debut of the dceu the debut of Zack snyder's vision for the dc universe and the debut of a brand new superman that is the 2013 film man of steel gentlemen we all watched man of steel yes I remember specifically watching Man of Steel with Andrew in the theater back in Tucson, way back in the far reaches of 2013. That feels like an entire <laughs> lifetime ago. Um, do you do you remember anything specific about going to see Man of Steel? Because I believe we saw it at midnight. Um, that was we saw it during the day. Actually, that we didn't see it during the premiere. Or you and mm. I. Uh, specifically took a time for to see it on a, a like a weekend and to just see it ourselves i had seen it once before i might have seen it twice before or may have only been once and we are we were both kind of at a point of just like i don't know how to feel about this movie so i need <laughs> to watch it again and and at the time the more i had watched it the more i had grown to appreciate it after a few years of watching it it's been uh, definitely the opposite experience. <laughs> but I do remember both of us at the time in 2013, oh God, it feels like a lifetime ago, uh, rather enjoying it and rather kind of being 
enjoying that sort of different take and that sort of different perspective on superheroes that we weren't used to for superhero movies. Yeah, absolutely agree. I remember exactly what you were saying about not sh- knowing how to feel about it. Like there were a lot of things and sometimes like watching it for this series. I'm, I'm going to give our listeners complete full disclosure here. I watched this yesterday as we're recording. Um, we're recording this ahead ahead of time so we can just get everything out of the way and get these uh, episodes to you. And watching Man of Steel for the first time in a long time, I was struck by how much I actually liked about it. But again, that same feeling of, I don't know how to feel about this movie as a whole. Now, Chris, we've talked about Man of Steel before. You and I have kind of been on the same wavelength of being Man of Steel apologists for a very long time. And re, right. and do you remember? Do you remember when you first saw this movie way back in 2013? How you felt about it? I, I actually I do. Um, it popped up on my time hop recently. Um, ironically, oh that's because I know it was a summer release, and I remember um going and, and I I really enjoyed it. The, the thing about it is, I don't carry the knowledge of the source material with me, so when I see it. It's what I see on the screen. It's how that's conveyed to me. So I think in that way, I have kind of an advantage because I know you guys know so much more about it than I do. I didn't have some of those notions kind of restricting how I felt about what I'm just seeing. You know, it, it's what I know about this is, that, you know, a, a very brief history, but this is Zack Snyder's film who I enjoyed 300. I enjoyed Dawn of the Dead immensely. I didn't know much about Harry and Henry Cavill, but watching this film for the first time, it felt like a summer blockbuster. It felt like a tentpole film. And um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it then. And just like you, Eric, I watched it, I think, yesterday. To, yeah, yesterday. And I enjoyed it then, too. I'm, I'm, I'm watching and I'm trying to get Dustin to come out. You should watch this, Dustin. It's good. And so, you know, but um, I enjoyed it. I really did. And I remember thinking to myself, Ken, Henry Cavill, I remember seeing him. The first time when he comes out of uh, the oil rig and he's got his shirt off, I'm like, God damn, he has huge shoulders. I was immensely Gigantic. jealous of, yeah, I'm like, I've got a little bit of, a, of envy of, of your shoulders and chest, but but yeah. You can't well, say he doesn't have a it's... huge chest, Andrew. He's got a huge chest. <laughs> like... As a massage therapist, I'm speaking as a body worker, and every time I see Henry Cavill, I just go, oh, this is somebody who had had to take alternative substances to get to this level. But don't get me wrong. His, his physique is very impressive, and there's no judgment. If you're playing Superman, if, some, if Warner Brothers came to me and said, okay, kid, you get to play Superman, then you got to get bigger. I am absolutely going, great. What kind of PTE, what kind of steroids do I have to take to get to Superman yeah. level? Because that's not happening in four months. And, that, and yeah. there's no judgment. But the fact of the matter is, as a body worker and having, having to study structures and having to look at shoulder length and see where there are, there are notable features that I see that I go, oh, this isn't exactly your normal frame. And this isn't exactly healthy for you. Because like that scene, like just like you're talking about, Chris, when he comes out of the oil rig and he's shirtless, don't get me wrong, Henry Cavill's a snack. Henry Cavill is hot. Henry Cavill is gorgeous. <laughs> right, like, yeah. I, I remember seeing the first trailer going, what the fuck, Warner Brothers? Did you make this man in a lab? This looks just like <laughs> Superman. This, yeah. is, this is insane. But there's notes that I now see as a massage therapist that I didn't have as at as the time or as a body worker. Henry Cavill can't per- put his arms down. 
And like, that's, that's not okay. That's not healthy. And there's like a few things where I go, oh, your hands are a little bit too small for this frame. And oh, your shoulders point. and head, like your head is very, like, I mean, I'm speaking as a man who has a very large head. I've got a huge noggin. <laughs> so I completely sympathize with him. His shoulders, when they're fully in Superman mode, don't quite match the rest of the frame. Like he looks okay in The Witcher. But rewatching Man of Steel, I go, wow, that's that's a lot of strain on the body. Hey, don't get me wrong, he did it. He absolutely got to the size and got to the frame that you have to get to Superman to be expected. But it's just this sort of frame it's just this sort of mindset as a body worker that I look at him now and go, Oh, buddy, um might have wanted to dial back a little bit. Well, and I remember the first film that I actually remember seeing him in was this 2011 film called Immortals. It's very, like, it's not a good movie. But, like, I remember, like, he was the lead in that. And in that, he is very, like, toned. He's very slender. And so, like, when I saw that, you know, him showing up as Superman in the trailers and everything and all the... um, all the set photos, I was blown away because his physique was completely different. But I think what you um, what you were talking about, you stumbled upon a really interesting point, is that um, perspective. And I think what's really interesting about the three of us coming together to talk about these uh, these films is that we all are coming to them from different perspectives. Andrew, you are a body worker. You are someone who is very spiritually inclined. Uh, Chris, Chris is the numbers guy. He knows everything that you could ever know about filmmaking. He is the expert. <laughs> if you have a question, he will absolutely give you six different answers and tell you That's which true. ones suck and which ones don't. Um, and I kind of come at this from an emotional standpoint. So we've got the we've we've got the spiritual we've got the physical and we've got the emotional we've got the father the son and the spirit here um, which i think is relevant for how much religious imagery is in this movie and we're definitely going to get into that but are there any specific um any specific points just general thoughts about the film before we dive into the nitty-gritty it's very pretty (laughs) <laughs> he's not lying it it is very pretty it is there's a there's a stylistic touch but Zack snyder and again we'll get into it further but Zack snyder that's his game i mean mm-hmm. with 300 it was a stylist it was it was basically a graphic novel on wheels sucker punch uh, people said it was Love a video game punch. basically right yeah i think so too but it's very stylized right mm-hmm. absolutely so, it's very specific um and then, uh, yeah, it, Andrew's absolutely right. It's it's very pretty. And I've got a couple of points I'll bring up about why I think, um, why I feel that way and why some of the choices they made on that. But, you're, dude, I'm glad you said about the religious imagery. That was one of the things that, re-watching it, it I kept making it's notes of it. Oh, they talk blatant. about God. Yeah. They talk about, they mix God and religion <laughs> and aliens. And then is, is God an alien? Just great, mm-hmm. great commentary. But... You take the well. Take well the no, wheel. and 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 I think what you what you were mentioning, they do talk about that a lot at the very beginning, the very beginning of the film, uh, the Krypton sequence. So let's just go ahead and dive into it. Uh, first sure. off, I had completely forgotten because I hadn't watched this movie in forever. This movie rolls credits on uh, Lara giving birth to Clark, and I thought, what a weird fucking choice 
to make the opening scene of your Superman <laughs> movie just birth. And I mean, I I can see kind of what they were kind of going for. They're starting with his life and they're, you know, giving all of these, you know, stages of his life. But the Krypton sequence, I think what both of you were talking about is that it is very visually stunning. Um, the world building that you get in a very short amount of time, because it's only about 15 to 20 minutes of the film is this Krypton segment. But for me, there was something that like kept gnawing at me. They kept mentioning, you know, science is bad and like you're, you know, climate change and all this stuff. But they were talking about between conversations between Jorel and Lara that, um, oh, he'll be a God to them. Oh, there's all of this, like, a lot of like uh, right out the gate religious uh, allegory. Um, Andrew, you had I think a point about the kind of Krypton uh, opening segment. What did you think about that? You see, the the Krypton segment is my absolute very favorite part. I'm happy you brought up the birth scene because that's in itself I think makes the most sense in what this movie is trying to convey. Really interesting. Well, think about this in that this movie compares. Uh, Kal-El and Clark and Superman to Jesus Christ quite a bit. And mm. the only, the first interaction we get with Jesus is that he is born and he's a baby and it is Mar- and his mother Mary giving birth to to Jesus. This movie opens up with Kal-El being birthed by I'm sorry Eric, what is what Laura. is Kal-El? Lark Lark Laura L. Man, you anyone doesn't who matter. ever doesn't wants matter. to get It doesn't matter. Anyone who is on the Price is Right or needs a topic, phone in Eric, and he is going to tell you those little details. Um, but that's kind. But I kind of enjoyed that parallel because that right away I was like, oh, an, another Jesus this allegory or another Jesus this metaphor. In that we see the birth of our Savior and we see the birth of our hero. The Krypton scene is probably the most concrete to me, and it's probably my favorite part because, like. What I most appreciated is how just desolate Krypton is. Like, they are so desolate that they built city underneath the very foundation of their their planet and continue to go on. So you really get the feeling of, oh, this planet is is not lasting very long. This planet is very advanced, but it's not going in for a good amount of time. Then the Avatar stuff starts to go in, and you go, okay, that's a little weird, but all right. <laughs> I don't know why you need a flying lizard. Like, I mean, because you got to have a flying lizard. You got to have flying lizards. <laughs> um, no, but I was like, there was something about it, and I think you touched on it with it being like very desolate. There was something that I think is a problem, not just in this movie, um, not just in this scene, but in the rest of the movie and the rest of the franchise for the most part. Um, I have in my notes here, Krypton, visually stunning, but everything is gray. And like that started to really bother me very early on. Um, from a filmmaker standpoint, Chris, how did you feel about how they introduced the um, the topic of Krypton, kind of setting the stage for Kal-El to be sent off and yeah. how that sets up what Andrew was talking about by trying to uh, get the message across in that opening scene? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Andrew, um, I couldn't agree more with him when it, it, about the Krypton part of it. I found that part the most exciting and interesting part of, of the entire film. I think they did a great job of world building, even though it's different, right? Because what little I do know about the former Superman films is that 
Uh, Krypton is an ice planet. And I don't know if that's true in the comics or not, but this is very different than that. Or maybe it shows an advanced age of that. It, 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 it definitely is in the uh, Christopher Reeve movie, for sure. Right. Th- that's. But isn't his, is it crystal or is it, isn't it a cave crystal, but the planet is ice? Um, in in that film, yes, and in certain um, certain condu- continuities that like to borrow from that movie, yes, absolutely. Uh, but uh, well, typically, Krypton has been all kinds of different ecosystems. It's usually so, the artist who gets to dictate that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that that then um, also I don't, I'm sure you guys knew this, but I think part of I'm gonna answer a question, but part of why. The story is so, I think, layered. Because I think there is a layer to the story. Um, Christopher Nolan uh, had a heavy hand in crafting the story. So coming off of Dark Knight, and and he's got credits to that. So when we start with Krypton, and um, I think Russell Crowe is by far and away the best actor in this film. And so seeing Russell Crowe kind of navigate that, playing off of Michael Shannon, who I think is the second best actor in this film, to me is like, I, I, I love that. I would love to have seen a Jor-El Zod prequel. To me, that would have been wonderful. But as as a filmmaker, the choices they made to set the scene in the first 15 minutes of the film, we have a futuristic world that is very sci-fi laden. I mean, like mm-hmm. you said, Andrew, we've got flying beasts at this point that look like wasps or, or whatnot, and we've got dragons, and we've got um, blue lasers. I think that... Um, I, and the Genesis, uh, the, I think it's the Genesis machine, the Genesis portal, I, the, the whatever that is, I that is that's a really cool concept. Like the first fifteen minutes of this movie, I'm like, yeah, I can. This is this. I'm digging this part of it. So for me, um, I was in at that point. Like I, I think all three of us really have a a, a hankering for good sci-fi. And if this were nothing else but that, like say there was no Superman and these people had different names, I would argue that this might have been more successful or part of that would be more successful than Man of Steel was. Well, and I think I, I absolutely agree. I think all three of us are huge, huge fans of the sci-fi genre. There's never a point when there's something that's sci-fi that we don't like, at least in passing, go like, oh, hey, did you hear about this? Sure. Um, but for this, I think a lot of like a lot of what this opening sequence does is it plays to Zack's strengths because he's ultimately, Zack Snyder, uh, who directed this film, um, is a visual a visual guy. He is very much about creating moments, creating iconography, and that's basically this entire opening segment. Now, Andrew, what did you think about like the iconography and the usage of those sci-fi elements in this opening segment? No, I mean, like, as I said before, I think the first 15 minutes, and I, I honestly do, I mean, to a part, to a point, I agree with uh, Chris in that I think Russell Crowe does, like, a, a fantastic job as Jor-El. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard that he was going to beat Jor-El, I was very kind of taken aback because he's a little bit more burly. He's a little bit more, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean... There's kind of he, an He's elegance. definitely not Marlon Brando in the, uh, no. in the Jor-El role. This uh, <laughs> of Krypton, Krypton, Krypton. Uh, what? There's kind of this elegance to Marlon Brando, though, and it might be the wig, it might be the glitter costume he has to wear, but he does very carry himself like he is a scientist who is high up in the rankings of this government, and that's kind of something I was surprised to see be 
that Russell Crowe really did kind of nail, maybe not within those first few minutes. I think like when he's, excuse me, that's going to happen a lot, folks. Sorry about that. Again, I am as Five tipsy. In. Exactly. Five I am as far as I am in as I, as, I, as I was when I started this movie. But seeing him in these first 15 minutes was just like, okay, you're more of an action star than we're used to seeing Jor-El. Because most of the time, both in the comics, cartoons, Jor-El is just a voice or he's a head or he's kind of just there to go, why are you not listening to me? Our planet is being destroyed. For the love of all that we worship, please listen and help us save. And the idiotic whatever, Krypton's like force of government is very, very strange. Like it's yeah, it, it, it's really weird when you have like a government that doesn't listen to scientists about something that's actually naturally occurring. God, it's weird. Yeah, that's so fantasy weird. is God. so strange. Like it's right? a good thing we don't have to have to deal with stuff like that. Science right? fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I absolutely agree. I think when when they put the amount of focus and the amount of talent that they do, um, having Jor-El, who to me, you know, is with bringing in Russell Crowe for that character, you know him from being such uh, such a great actor in films like Gladiator and Les Mis. And when you take <laughs> when you take someone like that, and you also um, kind of pair him off with a powerhouse like Michael Shannon, who is just like he is on another level. Um, I would argue that he's probably, it's very close, but he's probably the best actor for me um, in the film. But the two of them together, you really get that sense of like, okay, these guys know each other and they've been around for a while. They know each other. They have that uh, relationship with each other. And something that uh, Chris brought up that was really great is that like, sort of extra element of sci-fi that's in there. Like, I love the Genesis, the Genesis pool, and mm-hmm. that Krypton is a planet that actually creates their being, their human beings, or their population, instead of live birth, is really a very cool idea. And, like, the kind of behind-the-scenes of this movie is a little bit more interesting than the actual movie itself. <laughs> so, speaking of which, let's, let's dive into a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So... A couple things that I definitely want to hit here, and I think Chris is going to be our uh, our go-to guy for the behind-the-scenes um, information when it comes to this. This film had kind of a uh, a troubled a troubled series of getting together. Um, initially, this film was supposed to be a sequel to Superman Returns, the uh, Brandon Ruth two thousand six Superman film, really? and. Yes, absolutely. This film uh, was originally supposed to come out in 2009, which was um, when it was still a sequel to Superman Returns. But after they decided to kind of scrap the idea and go with a whole new uh, reboot altogether after the success of The Dark Knight, they decided to bring in some comic writers to see what they could pitch, to bring in what they wanted to kind of take this movie what direction they wanted to take it in and uh three specific names came up when they brought them when they asked for comic writers to bring in their pitches mark millar who is famous for kick-ass um other miller word properties um mark mark wade who is the biggest superman fan in the world you can fight him on that and you will lose and grant morrison who You've already mentioned Andrew, and I think you're gonna you're gonna like this. Um, all three of them pitched their own versions. Mark Millar pitched essentially 
filming Lord of the Rings style, an eight hour saga um, that was going to be filmed back to back and released year to year. Um, Mark Wade pitched something kind of akin to Superman Birthright, which he wrote as an origin story. And Grant Morrison wanted to tell all star Superman over the course of three movies. And what is that? All of them. All Star Superman is the greatest Superman story ever. Um, oh, is it? It's it's fantastic. It is it is a story that I hand off to people when they say they aren't fans of Superman, and hundred percent of the time I have gotten it back. Oh man, I'd never saw I never thought about that before, and it's just a story that I think is almost too big for like one film. They did it in animation, and I think with animation at and adapting it i liked it it's it has nothing on the actual comic book story the book was better as we say (laughs) but um i think warner brothers kind of balked at the idea of like oh we're gonna make this you know mythic tale and so they kind of leaned into some of the more contemporary origin stories they were specifically looking at mark wade's birthright they looked at superman earth one by j michael straczynski and specifically the storyboard artist j Oliva, who is my Filipino brother, um, went into the project wanting to make Superman fights specifically like Dragon Ball Z. He specifically pulled a lot of anime influences, and they are laid bare in the film. You can tell that all of the fights here are anime fights. Um, but they ended up going uh, in a different direction once the um, once the big success of the Nolan trilogy really got into full swing. And when they decided on Zack Snyder, they decided on um, David S. Goyer to really kind of helm this and pull this together and had Christopher Nolan, who was initially courted to direct, but was then kind of brought on to produce because he was like, I did three Batman movies, I'm done. He really kind of what they decided to do is they decided to tell a whole new story that was a bit more contemporary and they basically gave um, Zack Snyder the keys to the kingdom along with David S. Gorier and kind of pulled everything together. Now, Chris, I know that you have some of the info when it comes to kind of pulling things uh, together for this movie. What was the budget? So the budget uh, is was $225 million. $225 million. Uh, yeah, so my thought on that would be is I first would don't know this to be true. Um, I don't know if any of us know. Did they know at that point that they were going to map out a what would now be called the DCEU and Superman or Man of Steel kicking off their like basically the Iron Man for that? Or was not that, initially? There's, really? there's no, no way. There's, there's like little things in here. Like you see, like there's mentions of like very small passing mentions of like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. Um, there's like you see a Wayne Industries logo on a satellite. You see very little things like the um, the uh, military girl uh, has a Ferris name tag who is. I'm assuming it's not Carol Ferris, but Carol Ferris is famously the girlfriend of Green Lantern. So they, like, peppered in little, like, teases, but I don't think that this was built to be a vehicle to birth a universe. That would come up later, three years later, in fact, with the follow-up to this film. But you can tell that they really wanted to tell just this story with this film. Hmm. 
But there's no way that Warner Brothers, as the executives and as the you know money holders, looking at the success of Marvel, and at the time Avengers being released only a year before, weren't looking at this going, oh, there's no way we can't make money off this franchise. There's no way we can't make a bigger franchise off of it. So I don't well, think there was a giant influence into that mindset of like, oh, I'm going to make an entire universe. First. I think Zack Snyder did kind of have, oh, I'm going to make a good, I'm going to try and make a good movie, and then I'm going to go from there. Well, and I think they were also still kind of fresh off of the failure that was 2008's, uh, which was supposed to be 2008's Justice League Mortal. That was supposed to be helmed by George Miller. They had a whole cast. Like, they were going to make this huge Justice League movie in 2008, and everything literally just fell apart. Um, so I think they were really trying to focus on, after having this really successful Batman trilogy, making a Superman story and possibly building out to that, to having a Superman trilogy and possibly bringing them together. Of course, we all know that they decided to fast track that, but back to Man of Steel, um, we talked a little bit about Henry Cavill, mostly about his physique and the fact that he can't really put his arms down. How do you guys feel about Henry Cavill as Superman, as Kal-El in this movie? Well, Eric and I, you and I have talked about this, and I think your go-to is that he's an alien. So he plays mm -hmm. it kind of flat, less humanist. I don't want to speak for you, but when, I, when we've talked, that's what you have mentioned. And when I right. look at that through that lens... That makes sense. I, I see that. I, I can see what you're saying. Um, I just, every time, and as an actor in this film, he's, I think the the deck is stacked against him. And Marvel does this too. They'll put a really, uh, like they did Anthony Hopkins with Hemsworth in Thor. They put uh, Jeff Daniels with uh, RDJ in, in the first Iron Man. And there are people that are, uh, Tommy Lee Jones in um, uh, your boy, Eric, uh, the first Avenger. My boy. So the, you know he's your boy. <laughs> Although I, I, I am wearing the shirt today, though. So. You are. We, we, will, um, we all got the memo to wear the superhero I know. I'm going to wear the Wonder Woman shirt. I can't do that. <laughs> or I should do that, actually. The way, the, the way Metacritic looks, I should. But I just, I don't ever really believe Henry Cavill. I mean, even when he, he, in his scenes with Kevin Costner, he's not he's not the better actor in there. In his scenes with Russell Crowe, he's not the better actor. In his scenes with Michael Shannon, he is bad he doesn't even look good and even his scenes with diane lane his mom and got and when he's on camera with uh, amy adams the whole reason their chemistry works for me is because of her like for me and that and, and i have in my notes henry cavill seems like a really cool dude i mean he's got the video up recently of him building his you know <laughs> building a gaming computer like he plays D D. like the dude is cool like but as an actor like a serious actor i haven't seen him in anything where i'm like that's awesome so mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I, I don't, I'm sure he's a good guy, but in this, he's just kind of, I don't know. I get what you're saying. Andrew, how do you feel about Henry Cavill as Superman? You see, like I kind of have this opposite effect in what Chris is talking about and that I don't blame Henry Cavill because I've seen him in things that I believe him in. I've seen him in things where he's done really, really well. And I've seen him in stuff where I do think he's a good actor. I think the script is not well written. I think the script is dog shit, as most David S. Goyer scripts are. And you can quote <laughs> me on that. Most of the, like, they always put David S. Goyer in, in the point of the script work for the Dark Knight trilogy, when in actuality, it was, 
it was Christopher Nolan and his brother who wrote most of those, excuse me, who wrote most of those movies. And David S. Goyer was on, was, is pinned as a screenwriter because he was there to help them with the DC new, with the DC facts. They were there to look over and say, Hey, would Batman do this? Would the Joker do this? Would, would Scarecrow do this? And he would go, yeah, yeah, do this, try this, try that. And that's always what I got from him. And so to actually give him the full reins of a, of a script is, is not a good choice to me. And so I see all of this work that he does, and it's this thing of, like, there's no point do I believe this character, because this is a poorly written character. He doesn't give opinions. He doesn't show emotions, because he's not written to have emotions. He's not written to actually have any thoughts in actuality. And the point of the matter is we don't get to know this person, because the script is written as if you already are supposed to know Superman, or at least have these minuscule ideas. It's just like... Oh, and then Superman does this, and then Superman does that. And, and as a point of an actor who studied Stanislavski and has looked into script work and has to have to broken down line by line by line, if I was given this script, I've always thought, wow, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this because I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I'm just reacting to everything as, as just this sort of blank, blank white screen of no emotion or no color like that's the most sad thing about this whole script work for man of steel is that superman in actuality is a very colorful character and he has a lot of opinions and he has a lot of viewpoints on things but we don't get any of that we just get oh i'm from outer space oh i can shoot laser beams out of my eyes oh i can fly and that's kind of it like it's frustrating because you actually do have a trained actor as henry cavill he's He's fucking British, for Christ's sake. You have to know he can act. <laughs> act like you put anybody in that system and they can act. And it, it's just infuriating because he's not given anything. Like, that's the sort of sad point is that this main character is not well written. Well, and I think for for Superman, I think you touched on a really good point there where it's we're almost we're not given a whole lot of him when it comes to his inner thoughts, his inner feelings. He's a very externally written character as opposed to internally written characters where, you know, the reason they're doing things, you know, what they're talking about, you know, why they believe something. We do get certain moments that I think, um, have good, uh, have good intentions. There are certain scenes. Most of the flashbacks I think are strong, when it comes to what they're trying to convey, what they're trying to get across, in that uh, Superman or Clark is growing up in this world that is not the Christopher Reeve 1978 world, where everything is a little bit more cynical. Uh, Mon Pa Kent are afraid that people will come and get him if they find out about his powers. There's that scene where, you know, he asks Pa, like, well, should I have let them die, these kids of the bus? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And I love that scene. Though those, That's such a those great things scene. Bother, those things bother me from a from the position of someone who has that like that perfect idealized image of them but i do like what you like like you said how kevin costner plays that scene he is not sure how to do this he doesn't know like i don't know if you should let these kids die but i would rather you know the you know something terrible happen than to have you know the government come and take uh them take you away from me and where i think that they go wrong in that because i i agree i really do like that scene where i think they kind of veer right and they don't necessarily stick the landing is the tornado scene where he dies um that scene bothers me on a fundamental level and it bothered me 
it bothered me again when I watched it this time because there are so many things that you um, and I'm sure Chris you know all about this when you kind of write yourself into a corner there's this moment where it's like fuck how do I get out of this and then you have to recognize this is a fictional piece of media I can fix this (laughs) I can write myself out of this because this is you know this is fiction and it feels like what you were talking about with Goyer, how he was saying, you know, Goyer is kind of an unproven writer when it comes to screenwriting. Um, it feels like he wrote himself into a corner and didn't feel like he wanted to write himself out of it. That scene really bothers me just because it almost, it frustrates me how he is so willing to hide Clark's you know, abilities and his identity that he is willing to die for it. And I think the, a a lot of the um, adaptations, a lot of the um, versions of Pa Kent that people are familiar with um, is that, you know, very Uncle Ben type where it's like, oh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, except the DC version, you know, his, his whole from the Christopher Reeve movie, Clark, I believe you were sent here for a reason. And it's the thing that I always loved about if Pa dies, because he doesn't always die in every single, you know, continuity. The thing I love about when Pa does die in this kind of the traditional version in the comics and in some media as well is he has a heart attack and it's this lesson for Clark that regardless of how powerful he is, how strong he is, how many abilities he has, he can't save everyone. And it's an important lesson that he has to learn very early on as Superman. And I think this scene robs him of that. I completely agree. Like I have always had a standpoint and that I think that, that Pa Kent has to die of a heart attack. Because it's that lesson entirely that no matter what you do with all of your strength, you can take, you can, like, I would have appreciated so much a scene where Henry Cavill picks him up up as a young man and flies him to the nearest hospital and Jonathan Kent grabs his shoulder to put him down. Because no matter how fast you can be, you can't always be fast enough. You can't always dictate that because the spiritual lesson in life is that you don't have any control. And even though you are given the powers of the God, life is still going to teach you that lesson. And it's more heartbreaking that way in that, oh, I have this chance. I have this ability, but I'm still not fast enough. I'm still not strong enough. I'm still in my own way, a servant to life. I am still having to play this lesson. And that scene is so frustrating to me because he has every opportunity. He has every chance to do it. And he has every, like, it makes no sense because as Superman, he can either fly in. He can, I don't think he can run. He, He can't fly. He can't fly in yet. That's right. very, very true. But he's still strong enough to at least like jump over or shield his father or, or even jump out of the way hey, of the tornado. And like it's this thing of just like, oh, well, what if people see you? Who cares if like 12 hicks see him in the middle of Kansas? <laughs> no one cares. You get to keep your dad. Are you kidding me? Hey, come on. Be be Superman for Christ's sakes. Like, like do this. Like it's just this thing of, of being like on the opposite end of having to write scripts. And or having to write anything and being like, okay, is this the point of the character I want to make? Is does this make sense for everything that's given? And still watching it again, I'm always just like, guys, this wasn't this wasn't a good choice. Like I understand respecting your father's wishes, but like there's a point to where it's just like, don't sacrifice him. Don't don't make this choice. You can save him. 
and Superman would save him. Well, and I think we both of us, you and me, Andrew, are, are coming from that perspective of of people who do know the source material and are very well versed when it comes to the Kents and their uh, impact and their influence in Superman's life. Chris, from a from a script writing perspective, from a screenwriting perspective, just from the perspective of someone who doesn't have all of that. Uh, all of yeah. that weight of expectation on there. How did the Kents, their kind of influence on him and that scene specifically, how did that, um, how did you feel about those? Yeah. Well, first let me say, if had I known what you guys know, then I would be very disappointed because you nailed it, Eric. He's robbed of knowing that you can't save everyone, which would be great as we go into this further about, you know, the, the next, the Batman versus Superman uh, edition. But I think, um, the, well, I agree with you, Andrew. The writing in the, in, in the script, especially Cavill's character, wasn't written particularly well. There is parts of this script I think is written really well. And I think part of this, and I wrote this down in my notes, was that um, they have the conversation. Uh, uh, Jonathan and, uh, and Superman have this conversation saying, you have to keep this side of yourself a secret. And then he asks, like you said, Eric, what was I supposed to do? Let them die. And then he says, maybe because it's going to change everything. And then they follow it up with that saying, you're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Another reference to God slash aliens. And then he goes on to say, you're going to have to make a choice to make a point and stand with the human race and be proud or not. And so as soon as he says that, we have a jump cut to the, the, the scene when the trucker comes in and assaults the waitress. So I love I, that so really, scene. So, well, so the great thing about that is the juxtaposition of that. And, and they have the father saying, you're going to have to make a choice. Stand with us because, you know, we as humans watching this think, yeah, we're good people. We deserve to be saved. And then you have this jump cut to this real piece of shit who's like, <laughs> well, humans are assholes, you know. So so while the tornado scene for me, it again, not having the baggage of knowing some of these, some of the source materials, um, kind of foundations. To me, it was it was okay. I get it because his dad mm-hmm. was telling him that people aren't ready for that yet. You're gonna have to choose when you decide to unveil that part of yourself, and then he follows it up by saying, "You're gonna have to decide what type of person you want to be because you're gonna change everything." And I think that's part of what that character, that this version of Superman has to kind of deal with in those moral quandaries and whatnot. And I think for me, it, it, it was right in line with, with the rest of the film. But again, I didn't know that and hadn't listened to you guys say that now. I'm like, yeah, that would have been a great thing to, to, to see unfold on screen. Um, but yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, I think it is like, again, we are coming to it from the perspective of having that prior knowledge and so i kind of get what they were i do get what they're going for don't get me wrong they were they had a very specific vision on what they wanted to do with him and even though it wasn't my preferred vision um (laughs) they decided to take those kind of um and make those kind of choices to further this um distancing between cal and the human race and that bar scene which is problematic as hell but i love it is a prime example of that and it's a prime example of cal not knowing how he is going to use his 
abilities in situations like that. Uh, one of my favorite moments is when the guy goes to like push him and he just bounces off of him. <laughs> yeah. And he just doesn't move and he kind of like cocks his head at him. I love that. It's so great. Um, I do think it's really strange how no one heard him just stabbing these telephone poles into a semi truck. But right. I I think a lot um, a lot of this film, while it has its problems, there's and I talked to I said this to Andrew off mic earlier. There is a good film in here. There are a lot of poor choices that keep that from making it a, a good film. Um, good some point. of my favorite things I just want to kind of get because we were very negative. Um, not overly negative, but I definitely want to talk about some positives here. Some of my favorite scenes in the film. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm negative. Um, <laughs> but you're also, you're also eight drinks in by now. So right. That's and he's very, honest very, about being negative. <laughs> I'm very honest about being negative. I will be, continue to be honest. About but I think so, some of my favorite stuff and we can kind of roll into, I don't know if Andrew will have any favorites, but some of my favorite stuff, I, like I said, I liked, um, the bar scene. I really, with all of the things that I would have tweaked and done differently, I like the flight scene. The first flight, him learning how to fly in the Arctic, I like that. There are specific things that I think are problematic with it, but I like it overall. Um, the military base, when he kind of surrenders himself to the U.S. military, love that. Superman move, all the way. Um I also really like the Zod nightmare sequence, when Zod is kind of showing him, like, you know, we, we're going to make this new world and, you know, there has to be a foundation for that. And there's all the skulls and this it's I think that's really cool. And then, again, even though there's problems with it, I love the Smallville fight. I love the fight between between Superman, Feyora and Nam Ek. That is his name, just like from Dragon Ball. <laughs> Um, and the U.S. military kind of caught in the middle um, in Smallville. Like I said, lots of problems with it, but I do really enjoy it. Um, also, uh, a couple things that I wanted to touch on as well. Amy Adams we talked about. We referenced she was kind of carrying their their chemistry. I would say they don't really have a lot of chemistry. Um Speaking just from someone who has seen good Superman and Lois chemistry um, in the multiple adaptations and everything, but also Amy Adams does not get a whole lot to do with Lois. Her writing um, is not great. She 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 shows real promise right when she shows up, when she's like, all right, guys, if we're done measuring dicks, can you show me where I'm staying? I'm like, Lois Lane! But (laughs) after that, it kind of rolls into her essentially being exposition. Uh, we get the montage of her like researching him and investigating him. And something that struck me, and I don't know, maybe you guys can um, chime in on this, when she's like reading out her articles, and a lot of the montages and stuff are kind of um, are paired up with some of her voiceover reading her articles that she wrote. As someone who reads, I read, you guys read. Her articles were really boring. Like her prose style is not. It's just like I would be. I I would read that on like the internet and I'd scroll because it's like I I don't know. And maybe that's just because I I again I come into this with expectations. But I was like, you're a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, <laughs> really? And then lastly, like with uh, with Henry Cavill, because I will say he has a great look. He fills out that Superman suit the only way that Henry Cavill could. He has a great, you know, you could cut diamonds on that jawline. He is built. He has the look down. But there's something fundamentally missing. And 
I am probably going to say that a lot over the course of this series, but there's some, something fundamentally missing about him, and I think for me in this film, it's, the, it's him um, having fun. This movie is very, and it gets even more compounded upon in uh, Batman v Superman. Henry Cavill as Superman does not have a lot of fun. Um, there's a there's a twinge of it. There's a moment during the flight scene where it looks like he's going to have fun, and then they rein him back. But I think that he is a good actor who is not given the best material for him. Um, also, quick note, because a lot of people, when they talk about, you know, oh, this guy's better as Superman, this guy's better as Superman, and a lot of the criticisms of Superman Returns, which I mentioned earlier, were that, oh, this is emo Superman, who kind of, you know flies around and creeps on Lois through the window. Henry Cavill's Superman <laughs> creeps just as much. There's the scene in the graveyard where where Lois is like looking at Pa Kent's grave oh, yeah. and she kind of like turns around and he's just like standing there with like his ball cap hiding his eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's that's really how long were you standing there? Um you know. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, again, there is a good performance in there. If you take specific moments, um, and you take the kind of basis for what he was trying to accomplish, there are, it's a good foundation. He's just not given the material to really elevate it and bring it into something that I think is universally loved. Um, do you guys have any favorite scenes, any favorite sequences, um, that kind of stand out for you when it comes to the film? I know we already talked about the Krypton sequence being very strong for you guys. Uh, personally, I do want to agree completely agree with you in that Henry Cavill is a good actor with given a bad script and is not given a lot of material to work with. And you're absolutely right. There's no charm to this movie. There's And if there is, it's very, very minimal. It's a movie, along with Batman versus Superman, that we're, I'm going to say multiple times about Batman versus Superman, is that it's a movie with its head in, head in its own ass. And in that it completely believes every single thing that there's no tongue in cheek moments. There's no like self-reflection to it of just like this is a guy who's supposed to be in, in uh, you know, one suit, onesie uh, in his underwear or flying around in a cape. But like but at the same time, like we do get glimpses of a good performance of Henry Cavill and we do get moments of charm. Like you said, the beginning with Lois Lane, like right out of the gate she is the most lowest lane she ever is but you're absolutely right like there are so many times where i'm just like you're a pulitzer winner like you're you're (laughs) supposed to be the best writer we have at the daily planet like that's that's what we're supposed to be having from you i'm not believing it and it's not because of you amy adams i like amy adams i really like so do i i love amy adams i i personally don't and i don't know if it's just the choice of of the screenwriter and it's just that David S. Goyer or whoever decided to write just doesn't know how to write women or doesn't know how to write write good parts for women. Like, I just don't like this Lois Lane. I really don't. And again, that's not because of anything she does. It's just the lack of what she's given. Uh, the few scenes that I like, I agree with both of you in that that scene with Jonathan Kent and young Clark Kent where he's just like, well, what am I supposed to do? Let them die? And he grips onto the truck and he like really questions himself and he really has a moment of looking in. And it's only a second. And like, that's, I can't remember what the actor's name is right now. Kevin Costner. Um, Kevin Costner. Costner. The legend. The legend. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner. Like it's, it's honestly to God, good moment where he kind of looks in, looks down. It's just like, 
maybe. And like, that's a, that's a real moment. That's a moment where it's just like, look, it's either you or them. And like, son, I'm going to pick you, but I don't want you to, I don't want to say, let them die. I, I, I don't know. And that's a great moment to have in a Superman moment of doubt, of questioning what you believe in and questioning the people around you and what they think. I love the, I love the scene with Clark where he saves the kids in the bus. Like that to me is a real great Clark Kent moment, especially young Clark Kent. And like the evangelist crazy Christian who is just like, it's a scene from Revelations, Jonathan, you can't deny that. Like that's a great <laughs> moment too, because it's just like, it's two parents who are just like, look, he's our kid. Like we don't think, I don't know if he's the next savior, but he's my son. And like, that's who he is first. Um, I, I do like the Smallville scenes. I think we focus a little too much on the, the IHOP that we have to go through. The yeah, sponsorship the is out of control. Yeah, I, I was, know. I Nikon, was marking it down. IHOP, Sears. I was marking it oh, down. God. Yeah, IHOP, 7-Eleven, Sears, and U-Haul all have supporting roles in this movie. It is ridiculous. <laughs> like there's, The Nokia there's phones, too. It's yes, like, the Nokia dude. phones. Like, they really... Yeah. 2013 was a magical time. Um, they really like there was there was a moment where they're having this like serious scene where they're looking over like the destruction in Smallville and it pans over and there's this giant Sears logo and I'm like come on give us a second (laughs) give us a second to look at the devastation and and while you know because Superman gets thrown straight through that Sears and I'm like oh no the small business Oh no, whatever will <laughs> they do? How will they rebuild? But yeah, it's it's really interesting how they take these pieces of things that we like, like the Jonathan Kent scenes, like the uh, his interactions. There's a great and I forgot to mention it. There's a great moment when what you were what you were talking about Chris when he goes and he shows him the spaceship and he's like you're the answer um, to everything to are we alone in the universe. Uh, Clark says, "Can't I just keep pretending to be your son I'll be your and, son and he hugs him and he's like you are my son are and my son. again great, great moments kevin costner is a hell of an actor um chris are there any favorite scenes or sequences that you have from the film yeah i have quite a few like again i i i, I enjoyed this film i did i think that we can all agree that the krypton part was 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 really good um i think uh i think for me, uh, uh, Michael Shannon's portrayal of General Zod was really good. I think it's important to me to have a villain who's motivated. I, th- I read something today in, uh, in somebody, a director had said, and I, can't, I wish I remember who, I can't now, said that my goal is to make villains who think they are the heroes of their own story. The Russo brothers, that's who did it, because they're talking yeah. about some the secret war, whatever. And yeah. um, and that's why if you kind of look at Thanos from that from his own lens, he's kind of the good guy in this story, and I kind of feel like Zod is in, in is the hero of his story. You know, he's got this great line where he says, you know, the, everything I do is to protect my people, and now I have no people. I think that that's great. Yeah. Again. You know, and then I think at some point during this fight, Henry Cavill says, you're a monster, Zod. And I'm like, fuck, that sounds so terrible. You look so bad right now acting. It's like, just don't say anything. And and, and Michael Shannon's killing it and Henry Cavill's not. And um, 
and I, I loved I loved everything that he did with Zod. I love when he says to Laura, "I will find him." I thought that was a I so, will find him. Yeah, that was yeah, it would, that was so good. I, I really liked that. And when he's talking about um, when he killed Jarrell, and he owns yeah. up to telling Superman, says he haunt every that haunts me. His death haunts me. He doesn't run from it. He owns it. He owns it because he was motivated in saving his people. This was his motivation for that. And I think that's. I think that's such an interesting and and well written character and and we we shit on David Goyer a lot in this but at the same time I think <laughs> Zack Snyder deserves a fair amount of shit I mean Absolutely. he is the director of this project and he could have done things on set to help augment the some of those performances and he and he didn't and I think this is going to come up later in our conversations I think with with Batman vs Superman and with Justice League for what part of that he was with. Um, I, so I really enjoyed uh, General Zod's portrayal of that. I, I like the Smallville fight. I like that Superman, who's immensely powered, is now fighting people that can catch him out of midair. You know what I mean? I thought that he's not overpowering everybody, like we see in Justice League that he does to um, Darkseid, right? Is it Darkseid? It is Darkseid, uh, right? Steppenwolf. 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 Thank you. I'm yeah. sorry. That's how unmemorable that's it was. Right. As soon that's as okay. Superman shows up, he puts his foot <laughs> into Steppenwolf's ass. But these two Kryptonians, you know, it's 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 a big fight. So I I, I like that part too. I think the Smallville fight was great, um, and you know I'm going to talk about some of the cinematics now. I think yes, please. the 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 camera choice they were using. Um, if you guys noticed, I'm sure you did. There was a lot of handheld camera work, and so mm-hmm. it makes it more immediate. And uh, and so that I think was a choice by pro- probably Zach. Um, saying that this is how we're going to differentiate ourselves from, at this point, the Marvel Universe. Because if you go back and look at Marvel films, they're very steady cam. Especially around that time. Right. They're they're basically on tripods. There's not a lot of camera movement. Although Winter Soldier changed that. Uh, The Russo Mm. brothers are magnificent directors, and they brought that look into um, the films they did with the MCU. But for Man of Steel, that, that, that lens choice and that camera choice and that shooting selection, I think that was something that really kind of set the DCEU, you know, kind of apart. And I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the color palette. I think that the muted colors, they worked for me. Um, I think that there was this odd juxtaposition with things being muted. But if you noticed, the explosions weren't muted. So no. it's not that they muted everything. It's they muted specific things. They still wanted to retain the magnificence of these explosions, of these um, debris falling through the city. And and, thing, and and at the beginning of the Krypton scene, the brilliant blue flashes from their weapons too. So all of these things, yes, the color palette was muted, but these, these weren't. So I think that says something about the level of, uh, of color scheme they wanted to, to shoot for in this film. And... Um, I will say this, and I know we're talking about things we liked. When I knew this film was going to fail, there's a moment in all these films that I look at, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I got to get this out before I forget it. Is, you know, when I saw um, uh, Iron Man for the first time, when he gets into to, to the armor, it's like there was that moment like, this is awesome. When you see Thor with his hammer, when you see Captain America with the shield for the first time, there's that holy shit moment in all of these kind of comic book films. And the holy shit moment in this film for me could have been when you see Superman in the suit for the first time, but it wasn't. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't that holy fuck. This is the first shot we have of our Superman, you know, in his suit. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it's cool. But it's not really cool. I I think part of it is that he just kind of gets it. 
He doesn't really, there's no, like, story behind it. There's no, like, this wasn't sewed Mm. by Ma Kent, you know, to be something like, oh, you can run around in. You know, he just kind of like, hey, here's one of our spare suits that's sitting in the closet. Like, there you go. And what all, and picking back on what both of you were saying, what kind of like also doesn't fit into that whole scene sequence is the direct quotes from Grant Morrison's Superman. And like that mm. whole speech of you will join them in the sun, Chris, is straight from All-Star Superman. And it is a, oh. and, and like in the sequence that it comes, it's great. Because it yeah. is because it, you actually get to see Jor-El showing Cal like everything that's going on. You get to see the sun itself. And the kind of the problem is, is that we're stuck on Earth while this all is going on. And we don't get the weight of what he's saying completely because it, it doesn't feel deserved. Like from before that, it's Superman running around on, on the ship. He's saving a bunch of people. The bar scene happens, which is which is fun. Like, I like the bar scene up until we see the truck. When we see the truck, I'm just like, this is the least Superman moment ever. <laughs> like, this is like the absolute out of character. I mean, he could have killed him. Like that, that that would have been the next step. Like that would have honestly, like him killing him would have been the next step. And again, like I do come with expectations. I do come with a familiarity with the character, but I always feel like if you're going to write something of an introduction of a character that you're not used, that you're trying to get people who aren't used to or have no idea what this character is about, then you do have to highlight the things that people who do know them love about them because they're the ones to lean on to. And trying to make the points on just that scene where he's in the suit, like it's like all you, what you were saying, Chris, about how we get to see Captain America with the shield for the first time. We get to see Thor really wielding the hammer. We get to see Iron Man in in his Iron Man suit. These are all accessories that you can kind of go, and now they've deserved it, and now they have earned it. And the sort of poor screenwriting that we see in Man of Steel is that we don't get to see Henry Cavill really earn that moment in, That's in a great Man of Steel gets put on the suit. Like, there's no point where I get to go, okay, now you've learned your lesson as Superman, and now you're going to do it. it before that, it's he saves a bunch of people, he ruins some guy's career for just because he was being a dick to him. Um, <laughs> and then he goes right into it. But no, I'm sorry. Then he meets Lois Lane and then he gets right into it. But, and like, it, it just doesn't feel well-deserved. It doesn't feel like in a story point that our hero or our main character has progressed enough to the point of getting that suit. Like most That's of the time, point. like most of the time, Superman is just going around going, am I deserving of this, of these powers? Am I the hero that the world needs? And I remember just thinking, no, you're not. At no point have you proven to me that you deserve any of this. At no point have you... <laughs> shown to me that i can trust you and well and they i think for me what they were really missing was what we've all talked about here when it's it's his pathos like why is he doing these things why is he looking for um for his purpose and what it comes down to is they didn't have enough time to give him a purpose because they were too busy putting in the religious allegories I want to talk about it. We got to talk about it here. Um, There's a lot. There's a lot in here. Um, We talked about previously the Jesus comparisons. Um, 
I've always looked at him as a Moses comparison, and that is originally what he was supposed to be. But there's a lot of Jesus comparisons in this film when it comes to, you know, oh, we see him as a child, and then we flash forward and we see him as a 33-year-old man. We see that he is, you know, lost in the desert, figuratively. We see that he is tempted by the devil, which is Zod. We see a literal church scene where he is looking for guidance from a priest um but something that i don't know if either of you know um and i'm just gonna bring it up here because i think it's just a fun fact um was i remember manofsteel.com when this film was ramping up getting over and like really like you know this movie's coming out soon you gotta check out the website um because back in 2013, what you would do if you liked a movie is you would go and check out the website, children. And I remember <laughs> on this website, Man of Steel, it wasn't blatantly right up there, but you scroll down far enough and you would see a PDF link to a pamph- to a nine-page pamphlet called Jesus the First Superhero. This, is, Get the this fuck was out of on here. the website. I'm serious. This was on the website. Wow. I swear to God, this was on the website. And it's so interesting to me that they leaned so hard into it. Um, I would say even the uh, the first trailer is very... Um, it, it gives off those kind of Jesus-y vibes. Like, he's a savior. He's here to save the world. Um, what did you guys think... I want to ask Chris real quick. What did you think about like the Jesus allegories and how do you think that affected like the pacing of the film and when it came to the screenwriting as well? It's, it's interesting that when I, again, watching it again, it, it really jumped off the screen. I don't know if it's cause I'm older or maybe I understand things now. I, I don't get it, but yeah, I don't know how a lot of this shit got past some of the, uh, <laughs> the people at Warner's. I don't think somebody was like, Hey, you know, you know, well, we'll get to that. But, but honestly, I, I, you know, to me, it's funny. And I'm not a super religious guy. I'm, let me go out by saying that. I took it um, as them kind of making the comparison that God is an alien. Like, I see that a lot because they use uh, the, hey, you're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Not is there a God or a super, you know, or, or one omniscient being that can save everybody we do see that in batman versus superman though see that's where i think it it becomes more prevalent to me and in, mm-hmm. in, in, then not this film but i do think that they lean into the god is an alien on this one because i can't tell you i've gotten in my notes here three times by three different characters um perry says it best too to lois when uh when she goes in there and she drops a story about investigating clark and he says, uh, imagine if we were, if how people would react knowing that we weren't alone in the universe, right? Not is there a God, but are we alone in the universe? So when, with, with what you're saying, and I do believe there's a heavy handed, you know, Jesus kind of vibe in this, but it also makes the kind of, I could, I could argue that it makes a, a tapestry that God could also be considered an alien. Again, I'm not an atheist, but I also not, not you know, I don't go to church every Sunday. So for me, I can see that, that kind of connection being made. And, and so I'm wondering if that was the case, but those are just hear that, hear that Chris's mom. He's not going to church on Sundays. I know my grandma's give, give burning call. right now. She's doing the rosary <laughs> right now, asking for forgiveness for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> now, Andrew, you were saying that you um, you might have some information on why they might have been so heavy-handed when it came to the religious uh, symbolism. Uh, well, I need to look up the gentleman's name, but the there are a quite a number of, and th- this isn't saying that all Republicans have to be a, a heavy Christians, but there are a number of Republicans who produced this movie. A number of executives at Warner Brothers do lean far right. Uh, I believe it is our Secretary of Treasury right now helped produce both this movie and Batman versus Superman. And oh, so you can exactly a non Trump supporter. Exactly. No, you can look at IMDb and you can find him. Um, and like and some things kind of make a lot more sense when you see Superman uh, actually flying away out of the hole in the ship and he does a cross symbol well, to exert his arms for no reason whatsoever. When he is on the ground in Smallville, you can see an American flag just right behind him for whatever reason. And you get to see the church symbolism um, right in the middle of that church with Jesus right blatantly behind him. Like, God, there's no subtlety in this movie. There's like no, like they don't decide to have a real quiet moment. And I think it's really, it's really hard because Eric and I have talked about this on my podcast, how you need to have relatability to Superman. And I've also mm-hmm. talked to Chris about this in that it does feel like both Batman, or it does feel that Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman really try to take the lessons that uh, Last Temptation of Christ, the 1970s movie with with uh, William Defoe playing Jesus Christ and Martin Scorsese, the directing, and both take lessons in that in the, these iterations, both in the book, book and in that movie, you get to see Jesus doubting himself. You get to just see Jesus really saying, I don't know if what I'm doing is right. I don't know if what I'm doing is really what God wants. I really don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And moments where he gets to really fulfill that role and say, saying, hey, we need to do better. We need to be stronger. It really feels like they took that aspect of going, what if Superman doubted himself? And what if Superman didn't know if what he was doing was right? He doesn't say that or really express it or really show moments that he's really contemplating it. But there are moments in it that I'm that I do think can work. I I'm not gonna say that you have to have religious allegory into it. I'm not saying you don't and that you shouldn't have religious aspects. Because you should. You should introduce spiritual questions, especially with Superman, because Superman inherently can be a very spiritual figure. I myself am not putting my hats onto any religion specifically. I think that all religions have truth to them. I think all of them have lessons into it. And I see that giant tapestry of religion as one spiritual little quilt that all combines together in those lessons. But this movie especially feels like they kind of ignored all of those lessons that you can do with Superman and just heavy-handedly went, hey, he's like Jesus. And it's it's kind of just like, all right, well, where's... Where's the where's the cash out to that? Like, how is he like that? I don't know, but you know, he kind of is. And it, 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 it... Well, as a, a as a red blooded and God fearing Christian man myself, I am absolutely disgusted to be in the presence of two <laughs> men who are so heavy handedly backhanding the face of Christ. I am a hundred percent a snake worshiper. <laughs> you can fight me on that. <laughs> no, but honestly, I think there's a lot of things in this film that um, if they had been a little bit pared back, they really could have been a little bit easier to swallow. Uh, the Metropolis fight, for me, is still really hard to watch. Um, 
there the scene where uh, Perry finds Jenny along with Lombard in the rubble. All of the 9-11 comparisons really, mm. like, still bother me. It's been almost 20 years, and it still bothers me how, like, it's just, it's really frustrating at the loss of life. Um, the thing that bothers me about it is that, you know, we see in, in the Smallville fight, this is a reason why, for me, Smallville fight will always top the Metropolis fight for me, beyond the incredible fight choreography and the use, uh, the major use of Antje Trow as Feora, who I would argue should have been the main villain because she is phenomenal and steals every scene that she is in. Um, Superman makes a conscious effort to save people in the Smallville fight. He is trying to move people off the street to get them away from danger. He catches the helicopter pilot from falling to his death. You see that he knows that he has to be saving people while also fighting these people. And then you flash forward to the Metropolis fight where uh, Zod launches a truck at him. And he just gently floats up and over it while it explodes behind him, possibly killing people. It's just there's, I think, a... um, a weird juxtaposition there where it doesn't feel like it's the same character. But I think there are redeeming aspects, redeeming qualities to this film. There are things that they do really well. Some of the iconography, some of the visuals are stunning. The Everybody looks like they should be there. Some of the performances are fantastic. Zod, Michael Shannon is just a hell of a powerhouse actor and a great get for a comic book film. Uh, Russell Crowe, in that same breath, I think is a great get for a film like this that was still trying to kind of prove itself in the comic book genre. Um, When it comes to the film's successes, uh, the film, and I looked this up, the film won three awards. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it did. It won three awards. I'm going to tell you... It was a isn't it? No, actually. (laughs) You you would think. It's three um, too many, then. So... (laughs) So, one award is for Best New Hero at the MTV Movie Awards in 2013. And the other two awards that this film won were awards before the movie came out. Where it was Most Anticipated Comic Book Film and Best Poster. Those are the three awards that this film has won. Now, we talked a little bit about the budget for this film earlier. Chris... How did it do in the box office? It wasn't great. Um, I think worldwide. <laughs> so ju- ju- just for know, it, just for context, it, what was the budget again? Remind us. T- oh, it's two twenty five. Okay, two two hundred twenty five million. Now, to yeah, kind of essentially okay. break even on that, you'd have to make what twice that amount. Yeah, that's right. Twice that amount. So, yeah, how much money did this film make? Well, worldwide, and I think that's a big part of it too, because it, mm-hmm. initially it will tell you the take will be the U.S. and Canada, so it made two hundred and ninety-one million in its Oof. run uh, in the U.S. and Canada. So that is not it. Enough. Didn't <laughs> yeah, that's not going to cover advertising. <laughs> and worldwide, which if this is used to inflate the numbers too, because uh, overseas uh, the properties usually okay so worldwide were at 668 million okay so it so it did make money it did make a profit yeah Mm -hmm. now yeah 
Now, outside of just the monetary money, what was the... Um, we've talked about, the three of us, our reception to this, what we thought about this. Do you have any info on, like, uh, critical reception, ratings, stuff like that? Yeah, so Metacritic, which is kind of... Uh, been the more sophisticated version of uh, Rotten Tomatoes is how I describe it. Uh, <laughs> Metacritic <laughs> gave it a 55. So Out of 100? Yes. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Again, middling, right? Yes. Which is kind of how this film could be described as. Mixed it's reviews. Kind of, yeah. Sure, it's not great, but it's not bad. And then uh, Rotten. <laughs> exactly. This oh, it is, was Rotten. All right. It was Rotten. Well, no, Rotten has it at 56. So again, okay. <laughs> it's very middling. <laughs> so know, it's in it's the like, 50s. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, and, and, and to me, that's where this film could be. And the worst part about it is that this is kind of where I feel that, uh, it. I don't know, for the next three films, this is the best out of the three, which is sad. And we'll get to that in, 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 in a little bit. But, I want to go back to something you said in the very beginning, Eric, where you had mentioned that we don't think that Man of Steel, and again, we don't know, right? And just for the three of us, we don't know that Man of Steel was going to be the Iron Man uh, of the DCEU. We, di- we didn't know that. But if you look at the numbers, because I'm a numbers guy and my journalism degree is finally paying for itself a little bit. I love it. I so, love it. So, so Man of Steel propped in, in 2013. Batman vs. Superman versus superman came out on 2016 so three years mm-hmm. its budget was 250 which knowing a little bit about pre-production and 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 i think we all know a little about the film industry to get something like batman versus superman together in three years by that time you probably already have to have your director in mind you'd have to have your script kind of you don't have to have it polished but you have to have it laid out you have to already a 250 million dollar budget isn't something that you can just you know that's a tentpole film. So that has to mm-hmm. usually be approved by the studio maybe a year and a half to two years in advance. So if you look at the numbers, I think they knew they were going to make Batman versus Superman the same time they were making Man of Steel. Really? And yes. And if, you, and, if, and if you follow that trail, the budget for Man of Steel was 225 The budget for BVS was 250 So they gave it more money. And then Suicide Squad, which came out the same year as BVS, got 175. And I'm wondering if that was because the Batman v Superman scores came out um, and they were horrible. But we'll get in. We'll get to that later. Yes. But if you look we, at we, it, we've got a long like, journey ahead of us, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> it looks to me like like Man of Steel was. I, I could make the argument that Man of Steel was looked at as the first in at least three films for Warners in the DCEU to kind of craft that universe. And because of the mediocre response to Man of Steel, which it is mediocre, it is the definition of mediocre, 55 <laughs> and 56. Like, it is exactly that. And then with the with the reception of BVS kind of bottoming out, I think at that point is when we started to see the unrest um, with the DCEU. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but that's... A conversation for a later date so so no yeah. I, I i think that's all really good information to know i think it's and it kind of puts into perspective exactly what they wanted this to be because we saw that they really got this kind of kickstart after the success of the of the dark knight trilogy and after the success of you know peeking over their fence and seeing their neighbor marvel doing really well at the time yeah. and 
which kind of like kicked them into high gear to start pushing stuff forward with man of steel as it is just as an entity by itself i think we can all agree it was fine which as <laughs> a which as a foundation for a universe going forward for me personally in my opinion is not good enough you need something to knock it out of the park like an iron man to really say put your stamp down and this is what this is going to be um for me honestly when it comes to the film there's a lot of strong ideas but the follow through there's a there's not a lot of focus um and there, like I said, there is a good film in there. There's a good film in the intentions in this movie. But unfortunately, when it comes to the execution, it's not exactly what we needed it to be. And I'm still waiting on a good modern Superman movie. Gentlemen, do you have any final thoughts on this film? Andrew, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of big ideas, poor execution, and that's pretty much the whole movie. Like, I would give it a... Out of a hundred, a thirty, personally. Oh, we're doing ratings. I love doing ratings. Yes. Well, and like <laughs> you said, in that it's meant to. It, it at the end of the day, they did kind of have. Hey, this is we're trying to do what Marvel's doing. We're trying to doing what Disney's doing over there. So you, Zack Snyder, you guys are going to figure out this. And the problem is that they didn't have a Kevin Feige to really you know, ship and really go, hey, this isn't exactly what we're all thinking. I have to put this movie in my overall project. Can you try to do this? Can you try to do that? It was that mentality of like, let's just focus in on this one and make a good first movie and make a good one solid movie, which is not a bad me mentality to have or go into. So there's also, yeah, like there's just so much that I go, you guys could have done something really cool with these ideas. Like you've said, Eric, and you, Chris, have made some excellent points. I'm just like, and now that I think about it, like Man of Steel rewatching it didn't make me angry. It just made me <laughs> sad because, again, there's a lot that could have been done really well. And there's a lot of ideas that you brought up that were poorly executed because it, and like I said before, there's no subtlety to it. There's no, there's no real slow moment. There's no real stop and think. There's good moments. Henry Cavill again is very pretty. He's very handsome. He's got bright blue eyes and dark hair. He doesn't have a Superman curl, which still bothers me to this day. He looks great <laughs> in the suit. He worked out hard. He learned his lines, even though they are terribly terrible lines. And he could have done, and I remember watching Witcher and going like, all right, Cavill, let's see what you got. And kind of taken aback being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're a good actor. Oh man, if you had brought this much charm that you gave us with Geralt as you did with Clark, you would have been, you would have been perfect. And I think like Chris too, I think you had a great point in that Zack Snyder doesn't get as much fault as we gave David S. Goyer. Because at the end of the day, he is the guy behind the camera going, okay, try to do this when she says this. And I think that just kind of points into the fact that he's, again, a music director or a music video director. He does great visual work. He does fantastic cinematography. But yeah, it, it's, it misses the mark. And like that's, that's just my end result of it. It misses the mark. It doesn't even get close, but it tries its best. And that's all I have to say with it. Solid 30% or a 1.5 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Chris, final thoughts on The Man of Steel. 
No, I, I like that. You make some, you bring up, Andrew kind of nailed it for me. Um, it's kind of like this movie failed in what it was meant to be. It's still a decent film. Like, it's all right. It wasn't, if this was going to be their Iron Man, it was going to fail. I just, I, I do have a question. I want to, I want to wrap it up here with you guys, but I, I want to make, I'm going to make a point really quick. I didn't mind it. I thought it was fine. Um, I liked how it looked. Um, I would have been in for the next one. I'm like, okay. I would have been excited to see where, where, uh, warners and dc went with this so i was kind of on board with it even though it was kind of lackluster i've seen worse movies that i've gotten to see a sequel for so it's not that <laughs> true my my uh, right so it's it's way worse movies <laughs> i give it a solid seven maybe you know it's six because i would watch it again i would show jessica like hey watch this and you know, she's seen it but but whatever but i would you get love my point. to hear jessica <laughs> uh, me too yeah it's funny i told her i, I was <laughs> talking to you guys about it and she says when watching this did at any point did this inspire hope in you and i'm like not really and she says well that's what superman's supposed to do and i'm like you don't oh. even know. So, oh, so. Jess. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Jessica. Jessica. <laughs> Wonderful. I hope she's I hope she never hears this. But anyway, um <laughs> my question is this. How about this? So, I'm going to pose a question to you guys. And so, with all the DC properties, right? Cuz they obviously Marvel has a ton of them and they chose Iron Man to kick off their slate. Do you think that A Superman was the best one they could have kicked off. Let's say, let's say they knew, right? Let's say where Warner's is there, like you know, we're gonna start this. We're gonna try and mimic what 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 Marvel has done. What's who's our guy or our lady that we're gonna kick this thing off with? Who's our Iron Man? First of all, and second of all, who's our director? Because I think that Snyder was a bad choice. He makes a really Andrew nailed a pretty movie. Sucker Punch is fun. It's beautiful. Is there any substance to Sucker Punch? No, like none. And I, it's hard to argue substance for 300 too, because by the way, that wasn't just 300. Historically speaking, there were more people there. I think it was that they actually had up to 10,000. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So my question would be this, who would be your guy or lady <laughs> and who would be your director? Uh, do you want to go first? Eric, go, oh, go first, Andrew. I'll go first so that it's it's Eric's podcast, so he should have the final word. Um, <laughs> I, like I do I do think that Superman is the right choice to introduce the DC universe, not only uh, just for the character itself, but in the fact that he's our very first superhero. We are like we cannot say that there can be a Marvel universe. We can't say any comic book like movies at all, all or superhero movies can come out unless in the very first 1937 or 1938 or whenever Superman April 1938. Thank you, Eric. Again, if you're ever on a game show, all Eric. Um, And we can't be here. We're not with this conversation unless Superman comes out in 1938. And, And being, knowing the character and like hearing those three comic book writers give their pitches to Superman, it infuriates me that none of them were listened to and none of them were given the shot they could have done because they could have made a better movie. They could have made so much of a really, really great movie. And I think with the right, with, with the right director, and I'm, unfortunately, I can't remember the director's name. I believe he did X-Men First Class. I know he did the Kingsman uh, franchise. Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn, I think, would have made a fantastic Superman movie. 
I know that like there were rumors that he might make the next one, and I was very, very excited for that one. When I was very just like, okay, this guy knows how to make the best comic book movies because did he did he do Kick Ass, Eric? Am I mistaken in that? that? No, I think you're right. I think he did. And those like Kingsman are comic book movies. Kick Ass is a comic book movie, and X Men First Class is certainly a, a comic book movie. That is my choice for a Superman movie, and I think especially to introduce a world like the DC universe, because to me the DC universe is just straight up fantasy. It is uh, a, an America with more cities and even bigger cities than we have right now. Now in times of just that are completely strange. And kind of your aesthetic around your Superman and around your superheroes can really be shown in Superman. And, and the power set of Superman can be highlighted from the other characters if done correctly. So, again, like those are my choices. And I think that Superman is the right choice to introduce an entire franchise to. Wow, that's that's a hell of a hell of a pitch. Chris, do you have I know you, you're the one that posed the question. Do you have choices for answers for your question no my my knowledge of the library that dc has is nowhere near as good as yours but i think in 2013 that would be after star trek in star trek into darkness came out is that the the second one so jj jj uh i think jj would have been a good pick for a director i mean substance wise maybe not i think matthew uh, vaughn would have been better because x-men first class is that that could be what superman was right there was mm-hmm. there were elements of that that that's kind of perfect so fuck you for making me follow a perfect choice but that's yeah. cool so <laughs> i think um and it's hard man because chris i love christopher nolan storytelling and i think and I think the reason, I'll be honest, I think the reason Warner Brothers picked Superman was because we were still, the Batman were still too relevant for most people. Mm-hmm. And so, which I still think was a big thing against uh, Baflick, but he was terrible. I would say, uh, knowing what I know, I would say uh, Green Lantern would have been a decent one, although the stink oh, yeah. of Ryan Reynolds' uh, Green Lantern still probably is wafting in the air in Hollywood. So yeah. I don't know if they're going to touch that for a hot minute. I would say Superman too, only because Batman is too, it would have been too relevant at that point. And mm. I would like to have seen uh, JJ maybe take a crack at it because going from, and, and of course bringing over bad robot because Alex Kurtzman or Roberto Orsi, you know, that, that production team, they've been in charge of some really fantastical elements and really managed to ground them. And at the same time, I mean, it's hard to imagine a better sci-fi director over the past 10 years, spectacle-wise and, and, and box office-wise, than J.J. Abrams. I mean... Absolutely agree. And it, it, it's so funny that we all kind of gravitated towards the same thing, because I would, I would argue that, yes, um, Superman would be the one I would go with for both of the reasons of, that you gave. Um, I think Matthew Vaughn, like a Matthew Vaughn Superman film in the style of X-Men First Class was a film that I had been wanting for a very long time. And this, needless to say, if you haven't been listening for the last hour and a half, was not it. Um, (laughs) Though, I would say, personally, 
that I think just as well as they could have done with Superman being the building block, they could have made Wonder Woman. And I'm going to tell you why. Because at the point that this was happening, this was 2013. Say, you know, all hypotheticals has to come out 2013. Uh, speak, by the way, quick side note, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness came out the month before Man of Steel. That's funny. Just as a, just as an aside. But, and it was infinitely better. Yes. But um, Wonder Woman has not, had not gotten that mega stardom moment for her she had a great uh tv show which my mom shout out to her is absolutely in love with linda carter was a fantastic woman yeah um but she never had the kind of big screen success as the other two members of the trinity and i think that having her start the brand new DC universe if we wanted to make it like this is our stand this is our Iron Man I think would have a made it immediately different from Marvel saying like all right that's the boys club and Scarlett Johansson does things sometimes this is where everybody's going to get a story and if they went with that narrative and started off with Wonder Woman being just a complete badass and you know, regardless of whether they went the direction that the Wonder Woman movie went ultimately, or if they decided to go a different direction, I think they really could have done something with her and really made her something that was um, a foundation to build off of. Uh, when it comes to directors, I I love me some Matthew Vaughn and some J.J. Abrams, even though I feel like J.J. Abrams made a second Star Wars movie. I don't know if he did, but he no. he must have, he- right? No, yeah, he just he did the wrapped. one. He just did the one. He just did the one. No, he didn't. Uh, no, no, he, he did just it. did the one. No, he just did the one. <laughs> he just did the one, Chris. Um, it, it was really weird how this sequel trilogy was only two movies. But to be fair, I the second one's on, fantastic. It's so good. Um, I think honestly, you know, and this might be kind of an unconventional choice, but seeing how well he did with a female lead when it comes to action across two separate movies i think a wonder woman movie helmed by quentin tarantino would have been really interesting and it would have been i know i know it'd be tough it'd be a tough sell um but i think just the idea of all right we're starting off this dc universe with wonder woman and it's quentin tarantino would have immediately turned heads and would have immediately gotten people to go i have to watch this movie i don't know if it's gonna be good or not but I, I think that it would have been something that they could have really had fun with if they wanted to go a little bit younger. Um, a Flash movie by Edgar Wright would have been fantastic. Um, it still could be fantastic. But honestly, I think you can't go wrong with Superman or Wonder Woman for me. Completely so, agree. So that is... Funny. Go ahead. No, I just want to just say, Chris, it's really funny that you say that because J.J. Abrams was at one point going to make a Superman movie with... Superman Flyby. With Matt Bomber, which in like the before like Superman the Returns. Yeah, which I think still like during that time could have really been something. I mean, the, the supposed script for that was still batshit crazy, but like, I mean, it was the early 2000s. You could do whatever you want with comic book movies in the early 2000s. Just watch Daredevil. Did you guys remember? Well, you seen the, the, the pictures of Nick Cage being Superman, mm-hmm. the ones that have oh, come yeah. out? Yup, Superman Yeesh. lives. Tim Josh, Burton that bull like Superman. 
(laughs) (laughs) Though he did ultimately get to play Superman in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, the animated film that was released a couple years ago. Um, But that is going to do it for this inaugural edition of the Geek, of our newest Geek Explained Extra series, dissecting the DCEU. Oh, hold on, Eric, Eric. You didn't you didn't tell us what you thought about uh, Man of Steel. What your parting thoughts were? How your ranking would be? My parting, parting thoughts. Um, I think it because it's it's difficult for me to give my thoughts because you two said them so well. But um, I mean, both both of you made some excellent choice, excellent points. Like I think for me, like I said, this is a this is a fine film. It's not a good film. It's not a great film. It's a fine film. Um. Which, again, you can't have as a foundation for a franchise. You know, if they had the first, um, and I don't know why this is the first franchise that came to mind for me. If they had the first Fast and Furious movie, and it wasn't the visual and cinematic masterpiece that it is, that franchise (laughs) would not be still going today. But um, I think as a movie... Just on its own, it's fine. If I had to give it an arbitrary rating, like all of us are giving our arbitrary ratings, and I love me some ratings, out of 10, I would probably give it a 6. Because, like I said, there are things that I really like about it. I really like some of the cast. I really like some of the scenes. I really like some of some of the action, the Metropolis scene notwithstanding. Um, and I think, you know, I have to bring my bias into it as well. I'm a Superman guy. Always have been, always will be. And I was starved for Superman content when this film came out, which is why I saw it three times in the theaters. But I, I have to say that, you know, it's, it's a movie. But it's not the worst of the DCEU, which we will absolutely get to next time (laughs) (laughs) so that is going to do it for this inaugural edition of the geek explained extra series into the snyderverse tune in to our next episode where we will be continuing on into the unknown that is batman versus superman or i'm excuse me batman v superman dawn of justice but for now for geek explained this is eric azana this is andrew kincaid and chris carter and we will see you next time. Come together. Ah!